Hi there, I'm Ellen Kosh, your host for this episode of Aminder. As all of us doing neurodegenerative disease research know, finding ways to better treat Alzheimer's disease is a major goal in research. Today, I'll be telling you about new preclinical papers from August 2020, testing out treatments that target inflammatory processes, oxidative stress, mitochondria, metabolism, and lipids in AD. We have a diverse array of papers for you today, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Aminder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on Alzheimer's disease for you, so you can spend more time doing awesome research. For every month, you'll find a series of episodes by theme, and each comes with a bibliography. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast useful and accessible. All of the papers you'll hear about today involve preclinical testing in animals in some form or another. This is part two of our preclinical testing papers for this month. Check out part one, which is episode number 42, hosted by Nyla to hear more about preclinical studies targeting the cholinergic system, synaptic function, amyloid and tau pathology, and more. And very soon, part three will be out, hosted by Anusha, which will cover treatments to improve cognition and behavioral alterations in AD, and multi-targeted approaches. Look out for that one soon. We have 20 abstracts total that are covered in this episode. I'll be numbering all of the abstracts so you can use the number to find them in our bibliography after the show. You can find out more on how to access the bibliography in the episode notes. Getting into today's abstracts, first up, we have seven papers targeting inflammatory processes in AD. As you may know, inflammation is a large area of research in AD pathology. Neuroinflammation and elevated levels of inflammatory cytokine generation and inducible nitric oxide synthase are known to be found in the AD brain. This gets into the topic of our first paper, titled Antifungal Drug Myconazole Ameliorated Memory Deficits in a Mouse Model of LPS-Induced Memory Loss Through Targeting INOS. I-N-O-S. First author is Yeo, and last author is Hong, of this paper published in the journal Cell Death and Disease. An overabundance in cytokines can trigger nitric oxide synthase in microglia and astroglia and lead to excessive nitric oxide production, which can be toxic to neurons. I'll be referring to nitric oxide synthase as I-N-O-S, I-N-O-S in this summary. Previous to this paper, the disease gene drug network analysis showed that their antifungal agent, myconazole, was effective through interactions with NOS and that INOS inhibition can reduce inflammation. So the present study looked into the potential preventative effects myconazole has in AD-related cognitive performance by using a lipopolysaccharide-induced AD mouse model. Treatment was shown to improve cognitive impairment, cytokine, and INOS, INOS levels, an activation of astrocyte and microglial BV2 cells. Mechanistically, myconazole was shown to bind to INOS and reduce transcriptional activity. These findings suggest that myconazole treatment may improve neuroinflammation-mediated AD progression by acting on INOS expression. The second paper today targeted microglia in AD mice and saw effects on amyloid beta pathology and dopaminergic signaling. 
This one was published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences and is titled Inhibition of Colony Stimulating Factor 1 Receptor by PLX3397 Prevents Amyloid Beta Pathology and Rescues Dopaminergic Signaling in Aging 5X FAD Mice. The first author of this paper is Sun and the last author is Lee. Now getting into the details, this study investigated microglial elimination on AD progression. They treated 5X FAD mice with PLX3397, and this is a selective colony-stimulating factor I receptor inhibitor. AD pathological markers, such as A-beta deposition and amyloid precursor protein, and synaptic markers, such as synaptophysin and postsynaptic density 95 levels, were measured in the cortex and hippocampus. Dopamine markers and receptor density changes were determined using immunohistochemistry and PET imaging techniques. Treatment was able to reduce A-beta deposition following microglial depletion in the cortex and the hippocampus. The binding values for dopamine D2 receptors and synaptic marker expression levels were rescued in treated AD mice compared to the wild-type mice. And dopamine markers were also significantly higher in treated compared to untreated AD mice. So overall, these data reveal that targeting microglia with this treatment prevented AD-related pathology and rescued related dopamine signaling. Next up, our third paper of the episode is another paper targeting microglia, and this time looking at the effect on tau pathology. This paper is called P2RX7 inhibitor, suppresses exosome secretion and disease phenotype in P301S tau transgenic mice. The first author of this one is Ruan, and the last author is Aikizu, and this one is published in the journal Molecular Neurodegeneration. So as you may know, the accumulation of tau in neurons is a pathological hallmark in AD. Microglia are able to propagate tau by secreting tau-containing exosomes. This study determined whether the P2X purinoceptor 7, or P2RX7, an ATP-gated cation channel enriched in microglia that triggers exosome secretion, could serve as a therapeutic mechanism in P301S tau mice. Mice were chronically treated with a specific P2RX7 inhibitor and tested using behavioral, biochemical, and immunohistochemical methods. Inhibitor treatment reduced levels of misfolded tau in the hippocampus, cognitive impairment, and secretion from microglia. However, no effect was observed on microglia or inflammatory cytokine gene expression. Overall, inhibiting P2RX7 appears to alleviate pathological tauopathy hallmarks and symptoms, likely through the reduced secretion of microglial exosomes. Moving on to our fourth paper, which also targeted glial cells to improve amyloid beta pathology and other AD pathology. This paper is Chlorzoxazone exhibits neuroprotection against Alzheimer's disease by attenuating neuroinflammation and neurodegeneration in vitro and in vivo. The first author is Bay. And the last author is Ma, and this one is published in the journal International Immunopharmacology. Chlorzoxazone, which I'll be referring to as CZ, is an FDA-improved anti-inflammatory drug. The authors explored the therapeutic potential of CZ using in vitro and in vivo AD models. In primary microglia and astrocytes, A-beta caused P65 nuclear translocation, which was prevented by CZ treatment. Additionally, A-beta-induced pro-inflammatory cytokine levels, A-beta deposition, 
and glial activation was significantly reduced with treatment. At the in vivo level, CZ administration improved cognitive performance, hippocampal cell death, and A-beta accumulation in APP-PS1 mice. Similar to the in vitro experiment, treatment reduced glial activation and reduced pro-inflammatory cytokine nuclear translocation in AD mice. Altogether, the authors show the potential therapeutic strategy using CZ treatment to inhibit glial activation and the inflammatory response. Next up, we have paper 5, which looks at activating TREM2 to treat AD pathology. This one is Therapeutic TREM2 Activation Ameliorates Amyloid Beta Deposition and Improves Cognition in the 5X FAD Model of Amyloid Deposition. This is published in the Journal of Neuroinflammation by first author Price and last author Wilcock. Triggering receptor expressed on myeloid cell 2, or also known as TREM2, is a lipid and lipoprotein binding receptor expressed by cells of myeloid origin. Homozygous TREM2 mutations cause early onset progressive pre-senile dementia, while heterozygote point mutations triple the risk of AD. While data supports loss of function mutations underlying the increased risk for neurodegeneration, it remains unclear whether TREM2 activation could provide therapeutic relief. So the current study characterized an agonistic TREM2 antibody and tested its efficacy in the 5X FAD model using both intracranial and systemic routes of administration. Single intracranial injections were localized to the bilateral frontal cortex and hippocampus, while systemic injections were given once a week for 14 weeks. Chronic TREM2 activation led to the reversal of the amyloid-related pathology, including gene expression signature, recruitment of the microglia to plaques, and decreased amyloid deposition. The treatment also improved cognitive performance as measured by spatial learning and novel object recognition memory. So overall, these findings show that TREM2 activation could be an effective therapeutic strategy for AD. Next up, let's talk about D-serine and the JNK signaling pathway in paper number six. This next paper is by first author Liu, last author Ma, and is published in the Journal of Chemical Neuroanatomy. The paper is titled, D-serine ameliorates motor and cognitive impairments in beta amyloid 1-42 injected mice by inhibiting the JNK signaling pathway. The C-JUN N-terminal kinase, or the JNK, signaling pathway is known to play an important role in AD pathology, such as the formation of A-beta deposits throughout the brain. This study investigated whether inhibiting the JNK pathway with D-serine could improve motor and cognitive impairment in mice injected with A-beta in the hippocampus. The researchers measured relative JNK expression levels, and they assayed glucose metabolism using PET and CT scans. Hippocampal A-beta severely impaired cognitive performance and motor function, and it increased expression levels of several targets, including GFAP, TNF-alpha, and phospho-JNK. D-serine treatment improved motor and memory task performance, accelerated the A-beta clearance rate, and normalized the elevated expression levels of the previously mentioned targets. Together, these results suggest that D-serine could provide symptomatic and pathological relief in AD through the JNK pathway inhibition. Our seventh paper and last paper in this section uses nanoparticles to deliver their treatment for neuroinflammation in rats. This paper, published in PLOS One, 
is titled Ipriflavone and Ipriflavone-Loaded Albumin Nanoparticles Reverse Lipopolysaccharide-Induced Neuroinflammation in Rats. The first author is Yasa, and the last author is El Syed. And now getting into the summary. Ipriflavone is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor with limited estrogenic activity and used for postmenopausal osteoporosis. This study created and evaluated ipriflavone-loaded albumin nanoparticles along with free ipriflavone against lipopolysaccharide-induced inflammation in rats. Lipopolysaccharide treatment resulted in elevated inflammatory mediators and diminished antioxidant levels. The high dose of ipriflavone and the nanoparticles were able to improve neuroinflammation in the hippocampus by reducing pro-inflammatory cytokines and boosting antioxidants. Overall, the results suggest ipriflavone is a potential therapeutic strategy to counter neuroinflammation and that nanoparticles could provide a viable drug delivery system. Now we're going to move on to five papers targeting another process that's affected in Alzheimer's disease, oxidative stress, as a potential treatment for AD. The first paper in this section, and paper number eight in the episode, involves the traditional Chinese medicine that may have therapeutic effects through the NRF2 pathway. This paper is called Astragalus Polysaccharide Alleviates Cognitive Impairment and beta-amyloid accumulation in APP-PS1 mice via NRF2 pathway. And the first author is Quinn. Not sure how to pronounce it, but it's Q-I-N. Last author is Kai, C-A-I. And the journal is Biochemical and Biophysical Research Communications. Astrogallus polysaccharide, which I'll be referring to as APS, is a traditional Chinese medicine derived from the herb astragalus. Traditionally, it has been used to support the immune system, prevent infection, control blood pressure, and more. But little is known about its effects in AD. The current study determined how APS treatment affected the common AD model APPPS1, mice. These mice showed dysregulated expression of NRF2 pathway markers, such as KEEP1, KEAP1, cytoplasmic NRF2, and more. APS treatment was able to restore levels of the affected targets. APS-induced effects appear to be dependent on NRF2 since downregulation blocked treatment output on oxidative stress. APS treatment significantly improved impaired learning and memory, neuronal cell death, and A-beta aggregation in the APPPS1 mice. Overall, APS treatment appears to act through the NRF pathway to alleviate disease impairments in AD mice. Paper number 9 tests cannabinoid agents in a rat model of both hyperglycemia and AD. It's called, Cannabinoid-Profiled Agents Improve Cell Survival Via Reduction of Oxidative Stress and Inflammation and NRF2 Activation in a Toxic Model Combining Hyperglycemia and A-beta-1-42 Peptide in Rat Hippocampal Neurons. The first author of this one is L. Mazoglu, and the last author is Karasu, and this one is published in Neurochemistry International. Hyperglycemia may play an important role in oxidative stress, mitochondrial dysfunction, inflammation, and excitotoxicity, so many of the topics of today's episode. These processes all contribute toward AD onset and progression. Given the range of functional physiological responses the endocannabinoid system has, it may serve as a potential therapeutic strategy for AD. So these authors tested this using various endocannabinoids on a combined hyperglycemia, 
plus oligomeric amyloid beta peptide neurotoxic model. This RAP model shows decreased cell viability and increased oxidative damage and inflammation in primary hippocampal cultures. They tested cell survival as well as various measures of oxidative stress and inflammation. All agents tested preserved cell viability while alleviating the toxic results of the model with different effectiveness. You can check out the paper for more of the specific details. Overall, these results show the neuroprotective potential of endocannabinoids in this cellular model. Now we move on from cannabinoid receptors to another type of receptor named after a recreational drug, nicotinic receptors. This next paper, paper number 10, is titled Cottonine and 6-hydroxy-L-nicotine reverses memory deficits and reduces oxidative stress in A-beta 25-35 induced rat model of Alzheimer's disease. Our first author is Boyan Gyu, last author is Hiritsu, and our journal uh, for this one is Antioxidants. The nicotinic derivatives cottonine and 6-hydroxy-L-nicotine, or 6-HLN, which I'll refer to it in this summary, have shown cognitive efficacy without the side effects of nicotine. The authors investigated the level of improvement these derivatives had on memory impairment, nicotinic acetylcholine receptor binding affinity, and oxidative stress in the A-beta 25-35 induced rat model. Cottonine and 6-HLN were able to bind to receptors with an equivalent affinity to nicotine. Chronic treatment with both derivatives showed improved cognitive performance and antioxidant effects in AD rats. This was expressed through positive modulation of BDNF, ARC, and IL-1-beta gene expression. Altogether, these nicotinic derivatives have strong affinity for the nicotinic cholinergic system and could provide symptomatic improvement for cognitive deficits seen in AD. Now we have paper 11. This paper looks again at NRF2 and is titled Direct Inhibition of KEEP1 NRF2 Protein-Protein Interaction as a Potential Therapeutic Strategy for Alzheimer's Disease. The first author is Sun and the last author is Zwang. And the journal for this one is Bioorganic Chemistry. The KEEP1 NRF2 pathway, and that's KEEP, K-E-A-P-1, regulates, ant- regulates against oxidative stress damage in many cells and organs, making it a potential therapeutic target for neurodegeneration. This study determined the neuroprotective activity of NXPZ2, which is an inhibitor of the KEEP1 NRF2 protein-protein interaction. They used mice injected with amyloid beta 1 to 42 oligomer across the brain. Treated mice showed an improvement in learning and memory behavioral tasks and in pathological neuro- neuronal damage. Additionally, NRF2 levels were increased in the hippocampus and cortex regions, while P-tau levels were decreased following NXPZ2 treatment. Serum levels of NRF2 were increased, and A-beta 1 to 42 were decreased as a result of this treatment. Primary cultured mouse cortical neurons and organs lacked obvious toxicity with the treatment, so this seems to be safe as well, and the treatment was not effective in NRF2 knockout mice. Altogether, these illustrate keep one NRF2 inhibition as a potential therapeutic strategy for AD. Next up, we have a paper testing the effects of sodium orthovanidate. In addition to oxidative stress, they also looked at effects on mitochondrial dysfunction and insulin resistance. So it's kind of a mix of a few different mechanisms here. 
The paper is number 12 and is called Sodium Orthovanidate Improves Learning and Memory in Intracerebroventricular Streptozotocin Rat Model of Alzheimer's Disease Through Modulation of Brain Insulin Resistance Induced Tau Pathology. The first author of this paper is Akhtar and the last author is Sa, and the journal is Brain Research Bulletin. This study looked at the efficacy of two compounds using a bilateral intracerebroventricular administration of streptozotocin in rats and then evaluated cognitive and motor performance and related pathology. The phosphatase inhibitor, sodium orthovanidate, or SOV, which I'll be calling it today, and the cholinesterase inhibitor, rivastigmine, were given orally for three weeks. Markers for mitochondrial dysfunction, cholinergic activity, and other hallmarks were measured in cortical and hippocampal regions. SOV and rivastigmine treatment resulted in improved cognitive performance. Specific results from SOV showed a reduction in oxidative imbalance, mitochondrial dysfunction, and tau pathology. And also, SOV treatment increased gene expression of PI3 kinase and AKT, while decreased GSK3-beta. Overall, SOV contributed to memory improvement as compared to the standard AD drug, rivastigmine, through oxidative balance, mitochondrial enzyme complex activation, and improved insulin signaling. These findings implicate the therapeutic potential of this compound. And with that, we're just past halfway through the episode. Let's take a quick break, and then I'll be back with papers on mitochondria, metabolism, and lipids. Hey, listeners. I'm here to let you know Aminder is recruiting. If you're interested in joining us, shoot us an email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm back, and we have six papers targeting mitochondria this month to go through. Paper number 13 of our episode today is published in Molecular Neurobiology by first author De Silva and last author Sousa. The title is Guanosine Neuroprotection of Presynaptic Mitochondrial Calcium Homeostasis in a Mouse Study with Amyloid Beta Oligomers. Synaptic failure in AD can be traced back to mitochondrial dysfunction caused by toxicity from A-beta oligomers. Mitochondrial dysfunction has detrimental effects to neuronal viability due to presynaptic high energy demand and tight calcium regulation. This study determined the degree of damage to presynaptic function caused by global brain distribution of A-beta oligomers in mice using intracerebroventricular injection. The neuroprotective effect of guanosine an endogenous purine was also measured. A-beta oligomers reduce cognitive performance as measured by the object recognition task and glutamate uptake and oxidative oxidation in the hippocampus. Additionally, spare respiratory capacity, ATP levels, and calcium handling were impaired. Guanosine treatment was able to mostly protect against A-beta oligomer-induced impairments. Collectively, the findings recommend guanosine as having neuroprotective efficacy against presynaptic mitochondrial dysfunction caused by AD-related pathology. Next up, paper number 14 looks at the use of a compound that I'm not sure how to pronounce, so sorry in advance for any mistakes here. This paper is called Isoforcithiocide Attenuates Alzheimer's Disease via Regulating Mitochondrial Function Through the PI3K AKT Pathway. And the first and last author are both Wang for this one, 
which is published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences. Isophorcythiocide, which I'll luckily be referring to as IFY for the rest of this summary, is a phenylethanoid glycoside that displays antioxidant activity. This study examined IFY's neuroprotective effects and the accompanying underlying mechanisms using in vitro and in vivo models. Using L-glutamate-induced apoptosis of HT22 cells, IFY was shown to increase cell viability and minimize mitochondrial apoptosis and intracellular levels of reactive oxygen species. In A-beta-142-induced U251 cells, IFY restored mitochondrial function, an effect that was blocked by a synthetic phosphoinositide 3-kinase, which is the PI3K. In IFY-treated APPPS1 mice, anxiety and cognitive performance were improved, as well as brain levels of A-beta plaques, tau phosphorylation, and PI3K AKT pathway signaling related to mitochondrial apoptosis. Overall, these results suggest that IFY has a protective effect against AD by modulating proteins involved in apoptosis through PI3K AKT pathway activation. Paper number 15 was published in Neurochemistry International by first author Evetisian and last author Volpina. It targets the receptor for advanced glycation end products. It's titled Synthetic Fragment 60-76 of RAGE Improves Brain Mitochondria Function in Olfactory Bulbectomized Mice. So the receptor for advanced glycation end products, or RAGE, is thought to play a role in AD by mediating a beta accumulation, mitochondrial damage, and neuroinflammation. These authors previously synthesized small peptides called P1 and P2 corresponding to fragments of the RAGE extracellular domain. They showed previously that P1 fragment was able to restore spatial memory and reduce A-beta brain levels in olfactory bulbectomized or OBX mice. Currently, the authors investigated the underlying mechanism of the P1 fragment effects. P1 is able to restore activities of the respiratory chain in the complexes 1 and 4 in both cortical and hippocampal mitochondria of the OBX mice. The fluorescein-labeled analog of P1 was able to bind to A-beta with high affinity, whereas P2 had low or no affinity. Neither P1 nor P2 affected inflammation as measured by pro-inflammatory cytokine mRNA expression. This suggests that direct A-beta-P1 interaction contributes toward mitochondrial protection in these OBX animals. Our 16th paper today looks at the effects of a mitochondrial calcium uniporter inhibitor in an AD model. The title of this one is Ruthenium Red Mitochondrial Calcium Uniporter Inhibitor Attenuates Cognitive Deficits in STZ-ICV Challenged Experimental Animals. The first author is Sharma and the last author is Garibadu and the journal for this one is the Brain Research Bulletin. Recently, mitochondrial calcium uniporter, or I'll be referring to this as MCU blockade, has been shown to be neuroprotective in experimental animals. So this study explored the therapeutic potential of manipulation of the MCU. They used a blocker or an opener while measuring mitochondrial function in specific brain regions of AD rats that had the streptocidocin injection. MCU blocker was able to reduce the effects on cognitive impairment, acetylcholine, 
acetylcholine acetyltransferase and acetylcholine esterase activity in memory-sensitive brain regions. It also attenuated mitochondrial toxicity measured by calcium accumulation in the mitochondria and dysfunction of the mitochondria in the same brain regions. And interestingly, the MCU opener didn't have any effect on behavioral, biochemical, or molecular phenotypes. Altogether, this suggests that blocking MCU could be a potential therapeutic option. The next paper, number 17, also looks at targeting calcium transport in ADE treatment. It's called Targeting of Intracellular Calcium Stores as a Therapeutic Strategy Against Age-Related Neurotoxicities. Goldberg is the first author of this one, and Schubert is the last author, and this one is in the journal NPJ Aging and Mechanisms of Disease. It's already known that calcium dysregulation is typically involved in age-associated neurodegeneration. J147 is an AD drug candidate that was identified using a phenotypic screening platform based on age-related brain toxicities that are mediated by changes in calcium metabolism. The molecular target for J147 is the alpha-F1 ATP synthase. This compound has shown therapeutic effects in mouse models of AD and accelerated aging. In particular, J147 reversed aging effects on ion transport pathways in rapidly aging SAMP8 mice during the last quadrant of their lifespan. The primary screen use for J147 development included an analysis for the molecular basis of these effects using cellular toxicity assays. Altogether, J147 and its molecular target, ATP synthase, have therapeutic potential through the maintenance of the store-operated calcium entry and cell death during acute neurotoxicity. Paper number 18 looks at another compound that improves cognition and targets mitochondria, as well as other cellular pathways. The title is DL0410 ameliorates cognitive disorder in SAMP8 mice by promoting mitochondrial dynamics and the NMDAR-CREB-BDNF pathway. The first author is Leanne, and the last author is Du, of this paper that's published in Acta Pharmacologica Sinica. Previous studies showed that DL0410 is a multi-target anti-AD agent, So this study looked into its therapeutic efficacy and mechanism of action through chronic administration in SAMP8 mice. This treatment was shown to cause improvements in cognitive deficits in the Morris water maze, novel object recognition, and nest building tests. They looked at mitochondrial proteins and processes and found that these were dose-dependently increased in the cortex and hippocampus. Also, expression of synaptic proteins and pathway activity related to synaptic plasticity were significantly increased. BDNF, TRAC-B, and neurotrophic-mediated pathway activity were also elevated. And finally, neuronal apoptosis was alleviated through upregulation of VCL2, caspase 3 and PARP1. The authors proposed that the NMDAR, CREB, BDNF pathway, might establish a positive feedback loop between synaptic plasticity and neurotrophy. Overall, DL0410 is a promising candidate for treating AD. Lastly, we have two papers that we sorted under targeting metabolism and or lipids in the treatment of AD. The 19th paper of our episode is called Alogliptin Reversed Hippocampal Insulin Resistance in an Amyloid Beta Fibrils Induced Animal Model of Alzheimer's Disease. 
The first author is Rahman. Last author is Najmi. Journal is the European Journal of Pharmacology. Disrupted insulin receptor substrate 1 signaling has been reported during the development and progression of AD. This study used rats injected with A-beta fibrils directly into the hippocampus to investigate the therapeutic efficacy of the compound alogliptin, which is a dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitor. They tested the effect of this compound on hippocampal insulin resistance and associated AD complications. They measured cognitive performance with the Morris water maze and took hippocampal tissue sections. In silico analysis revealed that alogliptin has a good binding affinity with A-beta and beta-secretase 1. Treatment led to improvement in cognitive performance and pathologies including insulin level, A-beta expression, and GSK3-beta activity, as well as TNF-alpha levels and oxidative stress in the hippocampus. Altogether, the results indicate that this inhibitor of DPP-4 has neuroprotective efficacy against hippocampal insulin resistance and Alzheimer's disease. Now it's time for the last summary in today's episode. This paper looks at the effects of an extract from a perennial flowering plant in AD rats. Published in the Journal of Chromatography by first author Sun and last author Han, this paper is titled Serum Lipidomics Study Reveals Protective Effects of Rhodiola Crenulata Extract on Alzheimer's Disease Rats. So, Rhodiola Crenulata Extract, which I'll refer to as RCE, has been shown to have protective efficacy in AD, but the mechanisms of this are not understood. The authors performed serum lipidomics to determine such mechanisms through HPLC coupled with Fourier transform ion cyclotron resonance mass spectrometry. Wow, that's a mouthful. AD rats, which were established through intrahippocampal injection of A-beta 1 to 42, were treated with RCE. This treatment resulted in protective effects as measured by novel object recognition and passive avoidance tests. The following lipid screen resulted in 28 lipids that were significantly different between control and AD rats. RCE treatment led to the normalization of 19 lipids in AD rats. And the pathway analysis revealed that therapeutic effects of RCE might be associated with the regulation of various metabolic pathways. This includes those for linoleic acid and sphingolipid. Overall, these results provide further clarity regarding the protective effects of this extract for AD treatment. And with that, we've reached the end of today's episode of AMinder. I hope you enjoyed this one, and be sure to check out all the other preclinical testing episodes we have, and any other episodes that spark your interest for that matter. Don't forget that each episode comes with a bibliography. Instructions to access this can be found in the show notes. And we're still recruiting for Aminder, and any interested and enthusiastic people are encouraged to apply. If you want to get more experience in science communication, we have lots of different ways you can help the team. Experience isn't necessary. Just send a CV and an indication of your interest to our email, aminderpodcast at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. We're also on social media and would love to connect with you there. Currently, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks to everyone on the team for contributing to this episode of Aminder. And a special thanks to Sarah and Nyla for sorting the abstracts this month, to Melissa for summarizing the abstracts of today's episode, and to Anusha for creating the music that you've heard throughout the show. 
If you like what you hear, you can find more of her music on SoundCloud under her name, Anusha Kamesh, or on YouTube under AK Music. And of course, thank you for listening. We hope you find this podcast useful and accessible and look forward to seeing you again soon. Goodbye.